end our series. But come on, let's give them a hand. Encourage them this morning. Fantastic. Thanks, T. Nice groove going in the background. I like it. Very nice. Very nice. So um, a little bit of a survey on the shirt. Apparently, I've got uh, 7 out of 10, uh, an 11 out of 10. I don't know. What, what do we think? Uh, seven and a half, I think it was. <laughs> Somebody said it looks like an erupting volcano. Cool. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> hey, we're going to close off our series, uh, Haggai, this morning. Haggai is a, is a prophet, an Old Testament prophet, uh, one of the shorter books in the Bible. Uh, the minor prophets were known for saying a little less than the major prophets. Uh, and often the minor prophets would come in on a very specific um, thing that needed to be spoken to the people of Israel. And so this morning we're wrapping up. This is our third part. We had a little break with Tom Hatch. How good was Tom Hatch last week? So good to have him bring a message. But uh, this morning we are finishing off this book of Haggai. And uh, just a bit of a backstory, if you're just joining us for the first time or, or just catching up, maybe missed a couple of the services. Um, in the fourth year of uh, King Solomon's reign, uh, he, he purposed in his heart to build this temple. Now, the temple that he built was just magnificent. I mean, nothing like it has ever been built. Um, and the, the, the people, they worshiped God. You know, God loved the offering that they brought. His presence filled the temple. They had this incredible encounter with God. But when King Solomon died, the love for God died also amongst the people. And what happened is that, that, that basically their, their love was gone. And they ended up chasing after other gods and other idols. And, uh, and God allowed a series of events to take place in their life in order to draw their hearts back to him again. And so uh, Haggai comes and brings this message to the people. Because what had happened is King Nebuchadnezzar had come in and destroyed the temple, basically brought the, the, taken the people into captivity. Uh, Fifty years they were held in captivity, weren't able to worship God like they wanted to within the temple. And then 50,000 people were given the opportunity to go back and rebuild that temple again. And so they took the opportunity, they went there, they built the foundation, kind of reestablished the foundation, put the altar up. Things were going well until they faced some opposition. Anyone ever faced opposition when they've set out to do something God's asked them to do? You kind of take a step and you go, this, I know, I feel, I sense, really believe that God is asking me to do something. But the moment you take that significant step, you feel all of the pressure. You feel all of the attacks. And, 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 and there's a part of you that just wants to pull right back. And that's exactly what the people of Israel did. They pulled right back from, from, that, from that moment where they should have been going to work. They pulled back. They started building their own houses. They, as it was described, Haggai says, now is not the time to build your panel houses. Now is the time to build my house. But they, they weren't building God's house. They were building their own. And so Haggai comes in and encourages them, come on, get back to work on the thing that matters. Get back to work on my house. And so the people did. They got started again, and they got, they got basically straight back into work again for a month at least. And then they put the tools down when things got hard again. So Haggai had to go back and help them restart their restart. Anyone ever been there before? You know, you've you, you got to start something. You go, yes, I'm all about this. God, I'm into this. And then you stop. It's hard, actually, to, I think, restart the restart. I think it's the second time round where it's actually difficult when you go, oh, man, I, I already said, I've already promised God that I was going to do it and I failed once. Am I going to promise again and fail again? I'm so glad we have a God of the third, the fourth, the fifth, the tenth, the millionth chances. Anyone uh, up to more than they can count on one hand, the, you know, the amount of chances God has given us and restored us back again. But that's the heart of God. He says, just come back to me. 
Anytime you're ready, come on back to me and we can carry on where we left off. Amen? That is the God we serve. We are only ever one conversation, one conversation with God away from being right with him again. God, I'm sorry. I'm back. Let's get on with it. That's it. This is what God was after with the people. And Haggai comes and brings this message. So that's kind of where we're at and we're finishing up this morning. Verse 15 of chapter 2, it says, Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Haggai brings another message to the people. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you, says God. Amazing promise. A little bit of a difficult passage to to receive. But would you pray with me? And uh, I'm really asking for God's help to bring a message that will encourage our hearts, that we would draw close to God. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord, that teaches us. Uh, the Bible tells us in Timothy that it's useful for, for training, for correcting, for rebuking, for teaching in righteousness. Sometimes your word is hard to take. It's not the way we want to hear it. But God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts, Lord, that there would be something that would move, would shift in us, that our hearts indeed would return back to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So this morning, as we bring this message series to a close, I want to talk about two thoughts two battles that are going on in our lives. The first one is our battle of conditional obedience. Do I obey God at all costs or do I obey him based on conditions? How is my response to God when he speaks to me? Ever found yourself trying to do what you feel God's asked you to do and you take a couple of steps, but then it feels like you take about six or seven backwards? You're on that walking uh, travelator and you're going in the opposite direction, and you, you're not moving as fast as the, the way it's going the opposite direction. That can feel, we can feel like that sometimes. And we feel like we're not making the progress that we really want to make. We kind of look to God and say, um, it's probably your fault, right? We don't say that directly, but maybe we think that. There's a battle going on for our conditional obedience. Hey, guys, says, now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. Sounds like somebody's wallet. Yeah, I'm sure. I had 50 in there, and there's only 20. You know, does that feel like our bank account sometimes? Does that feel like our relationship bank account sometimes? It's like, I'm sure I could have drawn on 50 there, but uh, I feel like there's only 20. In fact, there's nothing left in that account. Sometimes that's the way life can feel. We feel like there should be more, but there isn't. And this is what the people were experiencing. They were going about, you know, they thought they were doing what God was asking them to do, but they just weren't getting what they felt they needed. It was like there was this limit to what they had. What was going on? What was going on in their hearts? What was going on in their situation? 
You know, sometimes we think that if we do the right things, if we follow the tick boxes of religion, then God will answer everything. We kind of treat him a little bit like a genie in a bottle. It's like, here's my wish. My wish is that if I do this, you will do this. But God is not a genie in a bottle. God is God. God has a plan, and we are walking out his plan. We walk with him. It's like this weaving of this beautiful tapestry. We don't know exactly what's going on, but the bigger perspective, God sees my life interacting with someone else's life. I would love to see the big perspective, but that would probably terrify me. But God is using each of us if we would walk in relational obedience with God. I, I had a mate a few years ago when I was down in Tauranga. Uh, we uh, played soccer with him, had a number of God conversations. Uh, he had big relationship issues. Um, he was, had a massive anger issue. Uh, in fact, it was quite common for us to finish you know, probably every third game with only 10 men on the park. He'd normally get himself sent off, you know, a couple of yellows or just a straight red. And, and so you know, he just, just would just lose it consistently. There was a consistency about it. He would consistently lose it, just get angry with people. And so we had some really cool conversations and some difficult conversations. Eventually, he came to church. He, he, he made a decision to follow God, and, and it felt like there was, there was you know, things happening. But then it was three weeks before I saw him, and then it was six weeks, and then it was three months. And eventually he just faded away, tried to keep in contact, tried to, tried to stay close to him. But he just pulled away. And I wonder if he thought that church would be this magic pill that would change all of these things in his life. But it's not. You know, ticking a few boxes and, and, and doing these religious things doesn't change a situation. And... and, and I wonder if sometimes we, we can look at God's word a little bit like that too. You know, there's some really, really cool passages in the Bible. Jeremiah 29, 11, that's the verse that this, this church was founded on in, in, in Pastor Luke's heart. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future. You know, that's a good verse. I like that one. I like the hope. I like the future. I like the positive aspect of that verse. But then in another verse, it says, you've got to forgive your enemies. I don't like my enemies. That's why they're my enemy. Because I don't like them. And what did they do to me, God? I, I don't want to forgive that person. We don't like that verse. That would be a good one to pull out of the Bible if you could. It's like, no, no. There's a conditional obedience on the ones that I like. But that's not how God wants us to walk in relationship with him. John 10, 10, I've come to give you life and life in all its fullness. Yes, that's amazing. Love that full and abundance life. You want me to wait to have sex before I'm married? Mm, I'm not sure I like that verse very much. Holiness, purity, right relationship with God. Not sure I like that one. That doesn't sound like a full life. See, if we're conditional on what we like and what we take from the Bible... We don't have a true relationship with God. Conditional obedience is a battle we all go through. But God is saying, I want unconditional. I want unconditional. Even into the unknown. Even into the difficult paths. The moments where we actually don't have the, the answers or the solutions. Uh, ladies, we husbands, it's called selective hearing, right? Anyone have, 
have that diagnosis with their, their spouse. So, <laughs> yeah. It's like when sports is on and Amy's speaking to me, my ears are medically broken. You know, they're, they're just not working. But if she said, hey, babe, can you put the kids down and uh, see you in the bedroom with that lock that you put on the door? I'm like, hello. It's like all of a sudden my hearing's come right again. What about kids? What about kids? Hey, tidy your room. Tidy your room. I got a half of that one. Huh? Tidy, you, tidy your room. Hello? Tidy your room. It's like you can go loud. You can try the soft whisper approach. You can try all of these different approaches. They are hearing nothing. It's like just business as usual. They're just continuing on. And then you mention ice cream in the kitchen. You could whisper it. You could probably even just think it. And they are there in an instant. Selective hearing. It's like we hear what we want to hear. And I think that's the same with our relationship with God. We hear what we want to hear. And we don't hear the stuff we don't want to hear. I, I think if we can be honest and actually go back to some of the things God's spoken to us even recently, would we say that we are unconditional in our obedience with God? Or have we put some conditions? God, if you sort this person out, I'll do this. No, he says forgive first. <laughs> Not forgive them after they've changed. Forgive them maybe before they have. That's what God is asking us to do. Would we live that in obedience? We need to understand that God does not give us options to consider, but commands to obey. It's not the suggestions. It was the commandments. God wants us to walk in obedience. He said, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Whose cross? My cross. I've got to take up my cross. That's the cross that I have to bear, that walk of obedience. That I actually embrace the joy, the blessing, and the struggle and the challenge. Count it sheer gift when you face trials of many kinds. It doesn't feel like a gift when you get a trial. It's not very often you get a gift of a trial come your way and go, yes, thank you, God, for the trial. I mean, how many people kind of respond like that? Yes, amazing, another opportunity for me to grow in my character. Thank you, God, for the challenge. I don't think there's anyone that responds like that. Let's be honest. But, oh, if we could walk through that challenge and trust and obedience. Wow, what a different person we are on the other side of it. Right? Come on. I, I know the trials that I've been through, that I've cried through, that I've you know, probably shaken my fist at God through. Those trials have been the making of who I am as a person. And as I've walked in obedience, I've seen God move so powerfully. I don't always get it right. Sometimes I miss the mark more often than I'd like. But I'm learning to walk in obedience, hearing God's voice and trusting that. I, I remember uh, about probably six or seven years ago, I was just spending some time with God. We were, um, we were down in Tauranga. We were the pastors down there. And I felt God just you know, prompt me. It wasn't an audible voice, just the feeling that I've kind of learned over many, many years walking with God. Just felt like I had to put some money in my pocket, in an envelope, just wrote the words, God bless you on there. I just put that in my pocket. And I just felt like God was going to set me up with somebody to just bless them. So I put that money in my pocket, and I went, and I went out for, uh, to do the shopping. So I'm walking through the supermarket, and you know, I've got this money in my pocket. It's kind of like secret, 
squirrelish and you're kind of you know, wondering what it's going to be. Who's it going to be, God? Is it him? Is it them? No. So walking through the aisles and then all of a sudden I see this lady with a black jacket and a, and a blue scarf on, probably mid to, mid to late 50s. And uh, I thought, God, I think that's the one. So I start heading towards her. And as I get towards her, I'm just about to give it to her and somebody comes and speaks to her. I'm like, woo, I quick, quick dodge down the other aisle and then you know, kind of come back and just peeking in trying to get the right time. And it's like the attempts I made to try and give this money to her, I just chickened out. Anyone ever felt the prompt but chickened out? It's like, well, maybe it's not the right thing to do. You know, maybe God's got to pick somebody else. No, no, Mike, you're the one that God's choosing to bless this person. And so uh, I got to the checkout, and I, I should have given it to her at the checkout, but then she was in a conversation with someone else, and it was just like, oh, maybe I'll just wait if I can see her in the car park. And it's like, oh, I can't see her anymore. But she was parked right next to me. So I'm heading towards giving it to her while she's parked next to me, and somebody else comes and talks to her, and I chickened out, put the money in my pocket, and I hopped in the car and drove home saying, God, maybe somebody else is supposed to bless her. Right, yeah, good Christian I am, good pastor, right? Yeah, great example to follow. Yeah, follow me as I imitate Christ, yeah. And so I'm thinking a few days later, sitting in my office, and our office over, overlooks the street going down into the, into the main street in Tauranga. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking about this woman going, God, I wish I had the courage to have given her that, that gift. I mean, I was, I was giving her a gift. I mean, how, how hard is that? I said, God, I just, I just hope she gets blessed. I hope somebody blesses her. No lie. She's walking there, black jacket, blue scarf, walking outside my, 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 my um, window. I'm like, I still have the money on me. I ran. It's like, I'll be back in a minute. Just ran down the stairs, and she's gone. It's like, serious? And so I'm looking around, trying to find it, and then she just pops out from around the corner, and I, I start heading towards it, and somebody from my church, my congregation, goes, hey, Mike, how's it going? I'm like, not now. <laughs> Don't mean to be rude, but I've got to go. And I kind of ran up to her, and, and by this stage, I'm like, I'm not letting this pass. And so I was probably a little bit, you know, kind of chase her down, tap her on the shoulder, kind of, ah, yeah. Hey, scary person. And I said, I said I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't know who you are, but I just, I just feel like God wants to bless you and say he loves you. And I hand her this, this, you know, this envelope, just a blank envelope that says God bless you. She bursts into tears. Now, she hasn't even opened the envelope yet. But clearly, God was wanting to speak something to this woman. God was obviously wanting to, to pass her on a message. Didn't cost me a lot financially, but maybe that was a turning point. I never, ever saw her again. I didn't invite her to church. Maybe I should have. But all I know is that I, in obedience, I went and I did what I felt I had to do. Those moments, don't pass them up. Remember, there have been times, I remember one time sitting in a conference and uh, we, we will always pray about what we give at a conference. You know, we believe if we've been blessed in a conference that we want to sow into that good soil so that could make a difference, you know, to much wider. And so Amy and I will often turn, turn to each other and say, how much? And we'll, very often we'll actually get the same number. And so in this instance, I turned to her and said, what do you think? And we had our savings for a new car. And uh, there wasn't heaps in there, but it was a significant amount. And, uh, and we, turned, we turned to each other and we said the same amount. I'm like, no. Because I was kind of hoping that, you know, she'd go with a lower number and we could split the difference. And then, you know, that would be true unity in our relationship. But she said the same amount that I was thinking. 
And it was a lot of money. It was a lot of money for us. But you know what? Obedience. So we, we said, okay. It was within less than three weeks. Somebody came to us with the keys to a, to a car worth 10 times the amount that we sowed into that offering. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that if you give $10, God will give you 100 back. But in that instance, God was speaking to us about a very important lesson. Now, almost the biggest part of the lesson was when they came and brought us the car. Because everything in me, the pride in me says, no, 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 you can't do that. That's too much. You shouldn't. And God taught me a very, very, very important lesson. God had spoken to them about giving us the car. Who were we to refuse what God had spoken to them about? Now, they were probably going through that. Really? Seriously, God? You want, to give us, you want us to give a car away? But what I've realized is that when, somebody, when God has spoken to somebody about blessing you, just say thank you. Thank you so much. Receive it. Now, you might want to channel that out to somebody else. Once it becomes yours, it becomes yours. So if you don't need it, don't say, I don't need it. Say, thank you. Receive it. And then find a way to do something with it that can bless somebody else. Because God is wanting to work on our hearts. That was a pride issue that I was dealing with. I had to be obedient to receive that gift because I kind of didn't want to. But God often does that work in us. And he's still doing it in my life. He keeps throwing me these assignments. On Friday, yes, this week as I'm about to preach on it, I'm going, God, you're not going to do that, are you? You're not going to throw one of those into my week. Of course he will. Because I'm not going to preach something that I'm not trying to live out myself. So I have somebody come around to our house, and they're doing some work on our house. And, and as, as he's walking through the place, he just kind of staggers a little bit. I said, are you okay? He says, I'm struggling from vertigo. I've got this real, you know, this imbalance. I'm just feeling horrible. So we talk for a little bit, and my heart's going a million miles an hour because you know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to pray for him, right? But my heart is like, oh, I don't even know this guy. We've, we met like 15 minutes ago. We've never met him before. He's going to think I'm crazy and weird, right? So every part of me in the natural says, I don't want to do this. But everything internally, based on a relationship with God that I've walked out for many, many years, I knew I had to pray for him. And so at the end of the conversation, he's just about to go into his car. I could have just left it at that. I said, excuse me. I said, do you mind if I pray for you? For this vertigo? Oh, I just believe God wants to heal you. He's, he's kind of stunned, obviously. He's, like, he's not necessarily, he's not a believer. He doesn't go to church. This isn't a normal thing. And he said, sure. You know what I realized? I have a 100% success rate when I've asked people whether I can pray for them. No one's ever refused it. It's like they've, they've said no to salvation. They've said no to coming to church, but every time I offer to pray for someone, they always say yes. It's like, I'm going to, I think I should probably press into that, lean in a little bit more on those promptings. But I prayed for them, you know, start speaking in tongues and casting out demons, and I didn't, no. (laughs) I said, God, I thank you for for Murray. I thank you that he's a great dad, he's a great husband. I thank you that he's doing a great job in, in in his work and in this community. God, I pray you would write what's wrong in his body. I pray you bring that balance back, and I pray you just heal him. Back to full strength in Jesus' name. Amen. That's it. That's it. You know, no lengthy prayer. And he looks at me, and he goes, no one has ever offered to do that to me. I went, I'm so, you know, internally I'm going, I'm so sorry that this is the first time at 50 years old somebody is praying for you. I'm going to see him on Wednesday. Guess what I'm believing? 
that he's got a testimony of God's goodness and faithfulness. Obedience is not conditional. It's, it's got to be unconditional. And the more and more we do it, the easier it gets. So God is looking for unconditional obedience. We don't know the outcome, but we've got to trust that God does know the outcome. The second battle is God's, and this is what we've called the battle for our heart. God is fighting for our heart. God is after our heart more than anything else. Um, verse 16, it says, When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. The reason you didn't get ahead is because I didn't let you, God says. I don't like this part of the scripture, honestly. Uh, This is the part of the Bible I don't like so much. I allowed blight, mildew. I I basically cut off your supply. Anyone else struggle with those kind of verses in the Bible? Why did God have to do this? Why did he have to allow this to happen to the people? God was not trying to punish his people. He was trying to restore his people. And please hear my heart on this. I'm kind of treading on very dangerous ground. God doesn't bring bad things into our lives to punish us. Sin doesn't, you know, sin doesn't then equal a consequence that will be heaped upon us. Bad things happen to, to good people. We live in a fallen world where difficult things happen, horrible things happen. Most of us could testify to something horrible happening in our world. And, and God is not a vindictive God that wants to punish people. He wants our hearts. He wants to restore us. But in this instance, God cut off the supply. Let me explain it this way. How many people have got um, children in university, university age, or they're about to go into university age? You've all got dreams and visions for your kids. I do too. Can't wait to see what God does in their lives. And there's going to come a point in time where my daughter, Rosie, is going to come to me and say, Dad, I want to go and pursue. She wants to be a worship leader. I want to go and pursue this. Maybe she wants to go to Hillsong College or something like that. She wants to you go know, Elam Leadership College. She, she wants to do something. It's like there's going to be a part of me that goes, great, go for it. And if I have resource, and we're hoping we do and we're building it, that we will be able to help her achieve that dream. So maybe we give her an allowance. Maybe we pay for her fees. Maybe, and off she goes. But then the spies, you know, we all have spies when we send our kids out, you know, people that will be able to talk back to us and tell us what's actually happening in our world. We find out that Rosie's been out partying every Saturday night, spending all of her money on parties, buying clothes and shoes that she doesn't need. How many people know? We're cutting off the supply, baby. Yeah? The values that are important to us as a family, she's not representing them. So why would we endorse that lifestyle? Sometimes God does that with us. God says, you know what? This is not how I want you to be. This is not the person you are. This is not my future for you. So I'm going to withhold some of the supply because I want your heart back. This is a loving God that wants to restore us, not punish us. A little bit hard to hear. Sometimes I don't like hearing that much, but sometimes God withholds just for a moment so that our hearts would be restored back to him. Not getting many amens, but I think, I think we're in this one. Stay with me, please. God allows for a purpose to get our attention, draw our hearts back. And notice it was actually quite loving. God just cut off their supply. He didn't harm them, didn't kill them, didn't destroy them. He actually just cut off their supply so that they come back and say, God, here we are again. 
And I love what happens from this. As the team come this morning, you know, Jesus said, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. See, God is chasing after our heart. He wants our heart more than anything else. And he says, your pursuit has to be the kingdom, not the things. I think we get it around the wrong way. We, we chase the things, hoping that we will achieve the kingdom. God's actually saying, I want you to pursue me. Pursue my, my kingdom. It's righteousness, right living, relationship with God. In that place, God will provide everything we need. Clothes, food, shelter. He gives us everything we need if we put him first. So God's saying to some of us today, I want your heart back. It's as simple as it is. I just want your heart back. You haven't been giving me everything. It's like you've given me so many rooms of your life, but there's two or three rooms. I believe God's saying to some people here, it's like you're not unlocking the door. You're not giving God access to that. God's saying, unlock the door and trust me. He's going to come and he's going to clean out those rooms. He's going to restore those rooms back to the purpose they were supposed to be functioning. But it has to be a surrender, as Amy said today, with extended hands. Not, not holding on tightly, but extended hands. We, we surrender our lives again to God, trusting and believing that He knows what's best for us. Even in the unknown, we can trust that God is doing a work. We can trust Him. Bill Hybels, he said, the way I was doing the work of God was destroying the work of God in me. He was doing the work of God, but God didn't have his heart. God is ferocious about our hearts. In fact, Jesus, even Jesus, who we see through so many situations, he just kept calm. Big storm raging around him, he just steps up, be still. Crowd wants to stone him, he just walks straight through the crowd. Doesn't go crazy. There's one moment he loses it, absolutely loses it. In fact, he goes WWE raw in the temple, throwing over tables, his chairs everywhere. He actually gets a whip and starts driving people out of the temple because they had completely missed the heart of God. You come to make a profit on religion. No, 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 no. I want your hearts. That is God's heart. He wants our heart. Maybe some of us today, just like what Jesus said when he quoted Isaiah, he said in Matthew 15, 8, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I tell you today, God wants your heart. His battle is for your heart. And maybe today God is asking for each of us to do something, to open our hearts, open our hands and say, God, what, what is it? What do I need to do to return back to you, to walk in that obedience again? This is the amazing part of the story. God gets their hearts back. Verse 19, it says, Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. God said, I give you this promise now while the seed is still in the barn. He said, You've not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines. Your fig trees, your pomegranates, and your olive trees have not yet produced their crops. In other words, they're still planting to do. Still work to do. There's still a temple to build. But God's going to bless them anyway because he's got their heart back. 
says, from this day onward, God says, I will bless you. Even though you did not plant the seed, I promise you will have a harvest of blessing. The steps of obedience come out naturally when we give God our heart. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. When you dig into the, 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 the literal translation of that, it says, if you obey me, you will be able to, or you will be empowered to. There will be an ability to obey his commands. When we love God, what flows out is obedience. I love him so much. And so why would I want to do anything other than what would please him? Our kids are like that. They love us. Why would they do something intentionally? And we do, don't we? But God's heart is, come on, return back to we obey out of relationship. That's God's heart for us today. And I believe there's people here today. If you're honest with yourself, you'd say, I don't have that relationship with God. I don't love him with all of my heart. But maybe in your heart, you're saying, oh, but I want to. I want to know him. I want to, I want to give my life to him. I want to serve him. I want to follow him. The Bible tells us God designed us to be in relationship with him. That is his heart for us that we will be in relationship with Him. But sin gets in the way. What is sin? It's pride. It's selfish living. Choosing to do things for myself. Satisfy my own desires rather than walking in obedience with God. God is saying, if you would confess your sin, if you turn from your old way of living, give your life to me, I will take you on that journey of discipleship. That is His heart for you today, my friend. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. This is the God of a thousand chances and more. It doesn't matter what's happened in your world. Right now, in this moment, God is saying, will, will you give me your heart? I want to pray a prayer. And I would invite you to join me. All of us, we're going to pray this prayer together. I'm believing that there's some hearts that are going to come back to God. Maybe for the very first time. Maybe you've been distant from God and God has drawn your heart home again today. With every head bowed, eye closed. Would you pray this prayer after me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross so that I could have life. Please forgive me for living life my own way. I turn from my old ways and choose to follow you. Thank you for your gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed, eye closed, we want to connect with you. We want to help you on that journey. If you pray that prayer for the first time, or maybe you're returning back to God, giving your heart back to Him again today, with every head bowed, eye closed, would you just lift your hand right now? One of our team are going to spot you, spot your hand and have a conversation with you afterwards and help you on that journey. Is there anyone this morning saying, yes, I'm turning my heart back to God, bringing my heart back to God? Anyone? Thank you. That's awesome. Fantastic. Couple down the front. Pop your hand down. Wonderful. Wonderful. Church, would you stand? Just as we close the service, we're going to sing this worship song, Do It Again. Because I really believe, I've had such a sense of what God is doing, that there is, there is a change, a shift going on in our lives. I think there's some people that have plateaued. You, you've kind of got to this, this point where you think, is this it? Is this all? 
Maybe you've stepped out in faith in the past and it hasn't happened. You haven't got the breakthrough. I believe God is wanting to unlock dreams and visions again. I think things that have been, been lying dormant in your life, God is stirring up again. I believe there's going to be an activation in this next season of the things that people have let go. And God is wanting to do that work in our life. And all it is is extending our hands saying, God, here I am, 100%. 100%. My heart is fully returned back to you. And I believe God wants to do that today.